You're listening to The One Relationship, where we believe a strong marriage is the foundation for living a fulfilled life, creating a thriving family and conquering the challenges of today. I'm Kate. And I'm Tanner. We're your hosts, and we've each had our share of unhealthy relationships. When we met, we committed to not repeat the mistakes of our past, so we set out to learn everything we could about creating a rock-solid marriage. Join us every week as we bring you real talk from our experiences, other married couples, and professionals we trust to help you create the strong marriage you desire and deserve. Welcome to The One Relationship. My name is Kate Wendell, and today I have guest Dr. Karen Dudek-Brennan. She has been supporting K-12 students with diverse learning needs since 2004 as a pediatric speech language pathologist. She spent 14 years in the public schools working with students receiving specialized services while completing her doctorate in special education. In 2015, she started an online continuing education company where she shares information for parents and educators of kids with disabilities. Currently, she creates resources for parents of kids who have conditions like ADHD, autism, dyslexia, other diagnoses that are impacting learning and attention, which is going to be super helpful for our audience. Also, the host of the Are They 18 Yet podcast, a show focused on sharing practical day-to-day solutions to help kids become responsible, well-adjusted, compassionate people as well as actionable advice for supporting systematic change now and for the future generations. You are a wife, a stepmom, a runner, a dog mom. I'm a dog mom too. I love it. (laughs) Welcome, Dr. Karen. Thank you for being a part of the One Relationship. And thank you so much for having me. Yeah, as I was reading through your bio, like two things really stood out. One is that I've had moms come to me and say, and including myself, you know, what, what do I do with ADHD? You know, how, how, cause this is definitely a, it's a different way your brain is working if you've yes. got something like this versus you don't. And then the other thing that, you know, really stands out is as parents, we want our kids to be well-adjusted contributors to society, you know, compassionate, loving people, kind people, you know, and so we want that for our children and it starts in the home. It starts in the home to be able to create that environment for them to be able to continue that into life. So uh, share a little bit just, you know, what is the, I saw this actually on your website and I thought this was really powerful. What is the biggest parenting at like bad advice that's out there? Let's start with what we think as parents we should be doing and instead we should be looking at it a different way. So I don't think usually bad advice is usually good advice given out of context. So Mm. there's a lot of things that people do with a lot of the families that I've worked with where it's not necessarily a bad thing to be doing, but it's more the way that they're doing it or the, the way that they're framing it for their kids. One of the biggest things that you see out there is positive reinforcement, which you know, obviously you should be giving your kids feedback if they're doing things well. You should be giving anybody you're in a relationship with some kind of positive feedback, especially if that's, you know, one of their love languages. But a lot of times what happens is that if in a lot of the the kids that I work with, a lot of the, the families that I've worked with, you know, there's they're struggling with something relating to academics. A lot of times they might not be getting their homework done or that 
bleeds over into functional things like they're not getting their chores done. They're leaving things laying around their the house. They can't keep track of their things. And it comes across to the parents like their kids are just procrastinating. They're lazy. They're avoiding. And so sometimes a lot of the, the parents that I've worked with will be like, I gave them a reward and they just, you know, they just don't seem to care no matter what. And a lot of times they're trying to reward their kids to do something when and try to mo- trying to motivate them to do something when it's there's a skill that's missing and they yeah. don't need a reward. They need to learn certain skills in order to be able to do that. It's kind yeah. of like, you know, I'm I'm over here. I'm five feet tall. If you try to, to reward me to go and play basketball against LeBron James, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm not a good basketball player. I don't have the skills to be able to do that. It doesn't matter how motivated I am. So that's one of the things that it's, it's not a bad thing to do, but it's a lot of times the way that people are doing it. So for the parents who are listening and myself included, because I know I go through this, like my stepdaughter leaves stuff lying around the house all the time, or I'm struggling with my three-year-old to learn how to clean up, right. And to Mm -hmm. just put her toys away. So how, how, as the parent, do we help our children to be able to learn that behavior and to, and to start remembering, oh, I left my clothes, you know, lying around, I need to pick mm-hmm. them up or I left dirty dishes, you know, whatever that is like. So how, um, how do we, how do we even start there? Yeah. And so that's a good question. And of course there's, yeah, a complex it's, it's, answer. I was going to say there's so much. But when you're, so there's, there's a couple of things to think about. So first, if you do have somebody who has a diagnosis like ADHD, for example, or there's a lot of other things where they might have ADHD or sometimes they don't even have a diagnosis and you're not really sure what's going on, but you know, they're, you don't really know, you know? Right. So when you're working with, with kids, a lot of the work that I do is around something that's known as executive functioning. And so this is, these are the skills that you, that help you to be an organized, productive person. The The textbook definition is, is, the the skills that allow you to engage in goal-directed behavior. So this would be things like um, being able to estimate how long something's going to take. So, you know, you're going to go downstairs and you're going to cook a meal. You kind of know the steps. You've done it before. You can kind of figure out, all right, this is going to take, you know, you start at the end and then you work backwards. Or just understanding, all right, I have to do this thing that involves multiple steps. How do I sequence them to know where to start? Um, and then also during that whole process, am I self-monitoring? Like, am I noticing if I'm getting distracted and off track? Am I noticing that, you know, I thought I needed to do it this way. And during the process, I realized, oh, I'm off track. I need to modify and things like that. So those are the skills that allow you to do those things. And so for a three-year-old, they don't, those are the skills that are developed in the parts of your brain that aren't even fully developed till you're in your early 20s. Right. So it's totally yeah, the frontal cortex, for, right? That's yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Um, and so, you know, as, as parents, I think sometimes it's like it seems so easy to us because it's it comes natural, and so you don't necessarily realize all the things that your brain is doing in a split second. You're doing all those things, but they're so automatic to you that you've forgotten that you're doing them. So sometimes parents don't realize that their kids 
they kind of take for granted those skills. And so even the simplest task for a three-year-old, it's like, how do you go upstairs and brush your teeth? You have to go in the drawer and find the toothpaste and you have to, you know, there's all these steps. So I think the first part is just sort of understanding what those skills are, understanding kind of where your kids are on that developmental spectrum. And then knowing that if they do have a diagnosis like that, those skills are going to be impacted. And so certain things, especially if you've got someone who has ADHD, it's not that they can't learn to do those things, but they might have to learn to do those things in a different way. Or some people just kind of pick it up on their own. You just might have to be a little more direct with them. So I think I think it's just more my recommendation is just come at it from a place of curiosity, like, like what's going on here? Why are they, why are my kids not listening to me? Why are they, you know, I tell them to go upstairs and get dressed and it takes them forever. Like maybe they're not trying to be difficult. Maybe they just really don't know what to do. And a lot of times it does come out in, you know, it looks like defiance. It looks like laziness. It looks like you know, and so all these things. And so it's easy to make assumptions. And so I would just encourage people to kind of dig a little bit deeper beyond that surface level behavior. I mean, this is, you're not the first uh, person to, to share this because I've, the more interviews I do and, and learning, um, because my three-year-old is, is definitely, I mean, and again, I know she's developing, but she really has very clear signs of ADHD. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as a toddler who it's, you know, already as a toddler, you know, they, mm-hmm. they don't want to do things or they want to do it on their own. And, they don't, you know, it's just, uh, just toddler um, development. And then you add the ADHD onto it. Um, and then as, as a stepchild, you know, my stepdaughter, you know, she's got various things that she's dealing with, with split homes and her mother mm-hmm. and stuff. So, you know, like, I mean, there's right. stuff probably going in her brain that I, like, I, I couldn't even comprehend at this point. And to really start to understand, okay, you know, what is, what is going on? And this is like a a reoccurring theme. So it's a good reminder for me being in this place and and for for the parents listening, like it's, it's not that they don't want to be defiant. It's not that they don't want to listen. They just may not know how they, they've got something else that's going through their brain. And so they're not Mm -hmm. fully, you know, whatever it is. And, and to, um, I think just learning how to ask it a different way or present mm-hmm. it a different way. Like I've had to do that because I've had massive battles with my stepdaughter mm-hmm. over things. And I'm like, okay, can't do it that way. That doesn't right. work. You know, like what's the next way to do this? Um, and sometimes it's just trial and error, you know, to figure out what, what works. Um, so really good reminder there, those executive functioning skills um, just, yeah, they're not fully developed. And so mm-hmm. how can we continue to work with, with our child to make sure that they're, they're learning those things, um, so that they can continue to, to be, you know, those successful independent children we want them to be a lot. This is another thing that has, um, been a realization for me recently is so much of how our children are reacting is based on how we are as parents. Right. So maybe you can share a little bit from your experience and what you've learned in, in your background of, you know, what we can do as parents to actually control ourselves, you know, maybe emo- lower our emotional temperature so that our children can respond differently. Maybe you can elaborate on that a little bit. 
Yeah. And that's really modeling is really important for these types of skills, because a lot of times kids who um, who are, you know, who have that profile, like I described, a lot of times they can kind of get into this negative feedback loop of I try to do this thing and I fail at it because I don't have the skills. So it was a bad experience. So that kind of adds to the whole motivation thing. And then in their head, they kind of tell themselves a negative story about whether they can or can't do that. And then they have this belief that they're not good at it, that they're not smart. And and with ADHD, especially when there are executive functioning issues, and honestly, even if they don't have ADHD and executive functioning is impacted, it's typically not a disorder of intelligence. A lot of a lot of them actually have above average intelligence. It's more of a performance issue. So it can be really easy to have a negative self-image and have very negative self-talk about whatever your experiences mean about you. And so, mm-hmm. so what happens is that it's like, you've never had success with this thing. So you don't have any evidence in your mind as to why I should try at this or try to be motivated. So it is really important for the parent to be modeling that positive self-talk in a number of ways. So there's self-talk like a lot of life coaches talk about positive beliefs about yourself and things like that. So there's that that we can be modeling as parents. And obviously, if we're modeling that and when you're thinking about teaching someone else to do something, you can get better at doing it yourself. So Mm -hmm. it is really important for parents to be working on those skills themselves so that they can model it for their kids. But self-talk can be about self-esteem, but it can also be more strategy-based. So things like when you're when you're doing some type of task, when you're, um, you know, let's say that you're, you're planning some errands, it's like, okay, we have to go here. That's going to take 15 minutes. We've got to drive over here. And then, you know, maybe this, the post office is on the way. We can hit that there. And you're kind of talking out loud what you're thinking in your head of, you know, how how are you processing through that task that you're doing? And kids who don't have well-developed executive functioning skills don't do that internal self-talk mm-hmm. and it's not as effective. So if you can be modeling that as parents, that can be really important. And the other thing is that when you start to think about that and you're like, okay, let me think about modeling this it can sort of take you out of fight or flight mode and think and bring you down into more calm, rational mode so that when your kids are having a moment, you can be that person that's providing that calming presence. Because if you're going to get irritated and upset when they're irritated and upset, it's just going to escalate. So that's really important. And I think sometimes having a place to shift your attention to that strategy talk then it can be a little bit easier for you to take yourself out of that emotional situation that you're in. I've had firsthand experience when I see kids getting, you know, my kids getting upset when I'm just as upset as they are and how it just gets out of control. And it's the Mm -hmm. yelling and it's the screaming, it's the kicking, it's the punch. Like, I mean, it's just you know, throwing themselves on the ground, like whatever. I mean, even my, my toddler will like, she'll bite herself because she's so frustrated or, you know, something. And, um, which, you know, like literally breaks my heart when I see that happen. Um, 
And then when I come into the situation where I'm like, big breath, big deep breath, like, mm-hmm. it's okay. We can let her scream. Like, I can, I can be the calm one in the situation. And it literally, like, one, it, it lessens the time that they're upset. Yep. And then, you know, recognizing what, you know, I, you know, I've learned to say like, oh, I see that you're sad. Oh, are you frustrated? You know, acknowledging what I see as maybe what the emotion is. And it literally starts to change um, for the better of, of the whole situation. So it's, it's a really great thing to start practicing. Not easy. So for all like the moms and dads yeah. out there, like it mm-hmm. takes practice. Don't think you're going to get it right off the bat. Um, but just to be mindful of that. And even if you start getting really upset, like I've, I, I noticed in the beginning where, uh, I would start getting upset and then I'd notice, Oh wait, I'm getting upset. I actually want to do the opposite. And then I change my tune so that it starts to become more automatic that I can just automatically go in calmly versus, you know, so don't, don't give yourself grace you know, all moms mm-hmm. and dads out there as you practice mm-hmm. this. Um, so a couple of things that I noticed, uh, in, in just, you know, uh, some of, with some of your podcast episodes and stuff, you mentioned, um, or there was a, there was a comment about why a, a timeout isn't necessarily the best option. Mm-hmm. So I'd, I'd love to know why and what would be a good alternative. Cause I think, you know, a lot of people aren't spanking their kids anymore. Like we right. had when we, yeah. were kid, when we were kids, but they do timeouts. So what, what's the theory behind that? Well, in that particular example that you're referencing, it's so if your child is in a state of dysregulation, so they're upset, a lot of times they need a calming presence there to help calm them down. And so if you're just going away from them, then you are you're just leaving them in their time that they need you to be there and be that that calming presence for them. So you can be there without and kind of be in their space and be paying attention to them without escalating the behavior or calling attention to the behavior and getting into an argument cycle with them. So Mm -hmm. I think there was one example of, okay, if you have a really young kid and they're doing something like like hitting or, you know, doing something like that. Obviously, you don't want to let your child hit you. You can say, I can't let you hit me. I'm sorry, you're upset, things like that. But if you have an older child, what often happens is that you get into this back and forth argument. And so the big thing there is that you don't have to engage in the argument because for kids who, for any kids, so anybody who's in a state of heightened you know, emotional, in a heightened emotional state, they're not going to be using the part of their brain that processes language. But if you have someone who has another diagnosis, that diagnosis might also make it hard for them to process language. So it's almost like, you know, remember Charlie Brown, where it's wah, 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 that's all they're hearing. So if you're trying to go back and forth with them in that situation, it's not going to be helpful. But you can still be there, you can still be kind of modeling, all right, let's just take a minute. Let's, and you don't have to leave them, but you don't have to draw attention to the behavior. So I think with timeouts, it's like they got it part of it right, where it's like, all right, you don't want to engage with the behavior and amplify the behavior, but you don't have to physically ignore the child. Yeah. You can still be there. You're just being there in a different way. Yeah. And 
And, and, and that goes for even like the meltdowns, right? Like, I mean, we know as toddlers, meltdowns happen just because I don't know, I, I took out the wrong color crayon, right? Like mm-hmm. it just, I mean, it, it happens for the most uh, crazy reasons that you, you, you as the adult can't comprehend. Um, and it's the same thing. And I, I heard this example, which I think really gives a good visual of when our kids are in that heightened emotional state that as, as an adult, uh, you know, as a, as a wife, you know, or, or mother, you know, you come home and your, your husband, you're, you've had a bad day. You've had a bad day. You're upset, mm. you're mad. You're maybe on the verge of tears. Like you are just not having a good day. And your husband says to you, get out of here. Like, just go sit in a room by yourself. Like, I don't want to deal with your crying, like get it right. together. Mm-hmm. Like, how would we feel if our spouse said that to us? Right. And that's, what's happening with our children if they're in this emotional state that, you know, they need someone to help them counter what they're feeling, they need a hug, they need some calmness, you know, Mm -hmm. we as an adult need the same thing. We don't want to be sent to go sit in a room by ourselves. Um, You know, we, we would want a hug or, you know, Mm -hmm. something, right. You know, some, some words of affirmation, right. Right. And it's, it's very dismissive too. Mm -hmm. And I think the only thing that would be different is if that person said, you know what, I need a minute. That would be different because that's yeah. that person asking for what they need, because maybe that person knows I need to go take a minute to myself and cool off and then I'll come back. But you, I think you do really have to understand the love language. And then if it, uh, something else that can be kind of helpful to layer on top of that is the sensory profile and whether they're introverted or extroverted can play a factor into that, too. But some people don't like a lot of people around are loud, mm-hmm. overstimulating things. Some people have a hard time with quiet. So whatever it is, you do have to pay attention to that too. And just using a timeout as just this, you know, rigid rule, it doesn't take any of that into account. Right. I mean, maybe they, maybe some kids need a quiet space to be by themselves, but maybe some kids need, you know, like a, like a hug. Uh, some yeah. people like, deep pressure. People find that very calming. And so if you do have somebody who's dysregulated from a sensory perspective, then they're going to be more likely to melt down. It's going to make it hard for you to get into that calm state if you are feeling dysregulated. Right. Yeah. It's sensory seeking or sensory Mm -hmm. avoid, right? So do you want the, do you want the quiet time? And, and as you, I mean, as parents, like we should know, or we would know our children enough, like even at three years old, I can, or even at, at even my one-year-old, I can tell, you know, who, when, you know, who of the two, who's more sensory avoid and who's more mm-hmm. sensory seeking. Right. So I already know that. And, and I can, you know, and I can say, you know, I've asked my, my three-year-old, I'm like, do you want a hug? And sometimes she does. And sometimes she doesn't, you know, and, um, and, and they can verbalize that. So, um, and then my, my boy, who's, uh, um, uh, who's one, I mean, he is, he just, he constantly wants the the physical touch, you mm-hmm. know, like he's just, he's very, uh, you know, wants that sensory seeking. So, um, so just to, as a parent, pay attention to those things. That's a, a really good point to, to, to make on, on, you know, when these emotional states kick in. Um, so for, uh, um, the step parents out there, cause you're also, yeah. you know, a step mom, how do you, um, you know, help your, 
work clients work around that blended family and to create um, good communication, good safe environment? What are some of those tips that step parents can take into their home? This is something that is important for every everybody, but I think is even more important if you have a child who's going back and forth between households. You can't control what's going on in the other household. Maybe if you have a good relationship, you can have some impact. And of course, it's great for the, the homes to have similar values, but that doesn't always happen. Yeah, it right. probably doesn't happen in a good majority of the cases. And even if you are on the same page with the other household, they're still going to be different. And so it's not necessarily, I think sometimes people stress, like there's different expectations, there's different rules in, in this house versus that house. But it, it doesn't matter that much if they're different, but it, it does matter if there's consistency within the house. Because kids know, I mean, ask any high school student, for example, they know that when they're in this teacher's class, they act like this. When they're in this teacher's class, they act like this. And they can go between settings and understand that. And yes, there's some transition time. And some kids do have a harder time with those transitions than others. So you do have to take that into account. But having consistent boundaries, having a safe place, and having an understanding of just what's expected of them in your household can make a really big difference because even if it's chaos in the other house, if you can provide the safe haven in your house, then you can have an impact there. And so again, it's it's okay if it's different, but you just don't want it to be inconsistent within your house because that's when it gets really confusing. Like if you and your partner are not on the same page about what the rules and expectations are, or um, even with, with those things we were talking about before with the sensory preferences, the more structure you can provide in your household and the more you can clarify those expectations up front, the easier it's going to be for your kids to know what to do when, especially if there are routines, because then you don't have to be telling kids what to do. They can just go do them. Yeah. For kids who do have something going on that's impacting their ability to process language. If you're always talking at them and telling them, do this, do this, do this, and it's always different, that's more information they have to process. But if you have kind of a set routine, then that minimizes that. You don't have to explain. They just know what they're supposed to do. And so that can have an impact. It can help if you have someone who does have a harder time with things like executive functioning, who does have some kind of diagnosis or that impacts their processing. But in general, it's going to help everybody regardless. And so that can be something that you do even if you aren't a step parent. But I would say is really important if if you have a child who's going back and forth between households. Yeah, we we um, we put together uh, sort of like a we don't want to say like necessarily a chore chart, but sort of like a mm -hmm. routine chart. Right. So yeah. it's it's there. And so that way it's, it, you know, we can check it off. Like you want to go out and play? Cool. Are all these things done and taken care of, you know, and then she can always just refer to it and look at it. Um, you know, and she's, she's school age. So, she, you know, she can, she can read and, and, right. and mm -hmm. know those things. I granted, you know, maybe you have smaller kids where that's not the option. Um, you know, use pictures 
things like that, or just know that, you know, as the parent, you're continuing with that consistency. I mean, it's amazing how consistency is like such a great thing Mm -hmm. to practice no matter what in life, right? You know, nutrition, exercise, you know, parenting, marriage, like it just, I mean, it just applies in all things. Um, I mean, even in, in people's jobs, right? We just know that when you're consistent, you know that your boss is consistent with this or that, like, just sort of, you know, even as an adult, what to expect. And it works the same way for children. Um, just, it's sometimes makes me kind of chuckle of like, just can't get away from that word, right? Just keep consistent. Yeah. Well, and it minimizes your, your brain power that you have to use and think about it. If you're asking them to do something that's hard for them to do, if, if it's hard for them to go upstairs and figure out how to get ready for school, and then they've already got to process this other information, the more routine you have, the more decisions are made up front that you don't have to think about. You just do automatically. I mean, we as adults do that for productivity reasons. You know, if you have no structure and routine, you have to make a lot of decisions and then your decision making power goes down and you start to make poor decisions because you're tired. So decision fatigue. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so that can happen with kids, but I think their threshold is way lower than what ours might be. So that is, that's part of the reason why it's really important. And those visuals that you mentioned, that's a really good example of something that, that I would recommend because if you have somebody who has a hard time processing just all words and it's all auditory, you say something to someone and then the words are gone. They can't go back and look at it. You have some kind of visual. You can go back and review that. We use that as a cognitive strategy as adults. So it's really important for kids. And you can use pictures and things like that. There's all kinds of things you can do to modify it if your kids aren't reading yet. So those kinds of things can be really helpful, especially if if you have a part of the day that's just, you know, constant chaos or really difficult. That would probably be the first place where you'd want to think about it, especially if you're kind of a calm, chill person and you don't want to all of a sudden be a drill sergeant. You don't have to be like that. You just a little bit, you know, a little bit at a time. A little bit at a time. And that again, like, you know, parenting, I mean, I, I, I like to think that marriage as well as parenting, uh, is like the best, personal development that's out mm-hmm. there, right? <laughs> like, um, oh, that's the truth, right? I mean, we yeah. learn so much about ourselves, um, through being, you know, in a relationship and, and then to be able to help raise these, these young little things that you're like, oh my gosh, what do I do with this? Like, oh, new stage of life. Now, what do I do? Um, it's, uh, it's a really amazing opportunity for that personal growth. Um, and we can look at it as a beautiful journey, or we can look at it as something that totally stresses us out. I've often heard from parents, like when they're frustrated with their kids and think, you know, just uh, like, I don't know, kids are being kids, right. Or teenagers are being teenagers. And it's like, Oh, this is why I drink or, you know, or, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> like, Oh, I'm taking a vacation. So thank God, you know, my, my husband and I are getting away from the kids. It's like, but why did you have kids? You know, like, and I, and I, and I hate, I would hate for the kids to hear things like that because that doesn't give them, you know, a, 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 a positive outlook on themselves. Like what my, mm-hmm. my mom drinks because of me, like, you know, so I, um, or, you know, oh, my parents can't wait to get away from us. Um, so I think, you know, as 
parents, you know, you're listening, be mindful of those words and those, you know, what are you saying? Because uh, yes, they are paying attention to your actions, you know, and actions do speak louder than words at, in a lot of cases, but those mm-hmm. words matter too. And um, to be mindful of those, those words. And there's a better way you can frame that. You could just say, we want to go do something together because we love each other. You know, that's a thing that married people do. (laughs) Right. And also important for your kids to learn Mm -hmm. that this is how you have a healthy marriage, that you make time for each other. It's not, it's not all about them, even though for the kids purposes, it is all about them. Right. But Mm -hmm. for them to also learn that it isn't and that to have a healthy marriage and a loving marriage mom and dad need to take care of each other, you know, and to be with each other, just like we have time with you. Like I'm, I'm more, um, vocal now and saying, um, you know, I'm going to have, I'm going to have mommy and Charlotte time, you know, in just a few minutes, but I have to do this first. Like, let me, you know, or it's, it's David and mommy's turn to have their time. And then I'm going to have Charlotte and mommy time, you know, just so that they understand it's okay to have, you know, multiple relationships and, and, and that's healthy. And it's the same thing that goes for mommy and daddy. Um, yeah. So totally different way to approach that. Um, I do want to hit on, because I do think this is important, you know, talking about self-care and that mm-hmm. mindfulness for us as parents. Um, what do you, what maybe do you practice or what do you recommend or even how, you know, moms are busy, right? They're working they're They've got multiple roles going on maybe their husband isn't that supportive or maybe it's the reverse. Um, and so they do feel like a lot is on them and the self-care actually does need to be a priority. So what do you tell to those parents who are like, I don't even know how to take care of myself. It's all about everyone else. Yeah. So I think that, I mean, I think it really does have to start with you because how can you provide a calming presence if you're not calm? Right. <laughs> so, I, I mean, honestly, a lot of the things that I would recommend for parents would be some of the things that they can kind of model themselves doing for their kids. So even just scheduling things out, like you were saying, like this, okay, what are we going to do this week? What's our schedule look like? And sitting down as a family and doing that. And then when you do that, make sure that you block out time to do whatever you want for mm-hmm. you. And, and put when you're going to have that self-care. I Something that, that I do is, you know, I don't like when I'm working on something, I really get into a flow. I don't like to be interrupted, but sometimes I can take it a little far where it's, I've just gotten lost and it's been six hours and my husband's like, are we going to hang out today or what's <laughs> going on here? So blocking it out and having those bumpers before and after so I don't take it too far, but at the same time, putting that time on the calendar and getting on the same page about that and really establishing some boundaries about that. Because now my stepdaughter used to kind of, I would be on the phone with whoever, it could be something work-related, it could be a friend, and she would just walk up and start talking to me. And this is when she was really little, she didn't really understand. And she would get upset when I would say, I, I can't talk to you right now, I'm talking to somebody else. It was kind of very egocentric And now, since we've talked about that, where we've had conversations with the family about, okay, it's really important for us to do this time together, but also it's really important for us to have our time apart to do whatever we want. Now, even she'll kind of, if she sees that I'm on a call, she'll kind of peek her head in and say, can I come in? Are you on a call? Like is now, 
can we do this now? And so she's getting better about that. Um, and my husband too, as well, we've, we've gotten better about blocking out time for doing whatever it is that we're doing so that we can be strategic about that time. Cause I'm the kind of person who, if I don't put it on the calendar, it's not happening. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately that means that self-care is one of those things where it feels to me like I don't have to do it. I don't have to sit down and read a book that is just for leisure because I could be getting work done, but it is really important to give yourself that break. So whatever it is you do for me, I like reading. I like walking my dog. I like running. So those are the things that if I have my, my little, my to-do list that those things go in there. And yeah. so they're a priority. So they get done. Yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with scheduling in your downtime, whatever that right. looks like. Right. It, it, I, I've talked with people over the years of like, Oh no, it's, you know, it's, it's spontaneous and I don't want to, you know, it seems so mm -hmm. counterintuitive to like schedule your downtime. I'm like, oh no, but that, oh. that actually, it actually helps me to be more productive and, or more focused to do what I need to do. Cause I'm like, Ooh, I know I've got three hours. Here's my chunk that I'm working on, you know, X, Y, or Z. But I know once like, once those three hours are up, I'm going to work, you know, I'm going to work as hard as I can for, and get as much done as I can, because then I get the break, you know, yeah. and it just mentally like, helps me be more focused and productive. And then I'm also then taking care of myself. Uh, and I think it, it does kind of make you look forward to it. Right. And it also challenges you to look at how you're spending your time when you are working, because sometimes it's like, if you could get it done in three hours, why did it take you eight hours last time? Maybe <laughs> you were distracted. So I think that sometimes you realize that you can get more done than you realize and that you People sometimes say, I don't have time for self-care, but it's the whole, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the Stephen Covey big rocks thing where you put yeah. the big rocks in first yep. and then you put the pebbles in. And so sometimes if you put those things in first, everything gets done. And I think sometimes people don't realize how much time that they're wasting because they don't have a routine and they spend a lot of time figuring out where to start. They don't have it decided in advance. And they don't realize that they're off task some of the time. So yeah. it does make you, it does keep you honest. Yeah. I just had a group of um, moms I was coaching and, uh, and that's, I literally had the visual of like two jars and I'm mm -hmm. like, here are all the big rocks. We got to put the most important things in for the day and know that like that day, those important things may be big and you know, big for the day, they may be different for tomorrow, or maybe it's, it's going to take you a week to work through these, you know, big three rocks of, uh, for the week. And then you move on to something else. Like it's, you know, and then to fill in with the smaller rocks and the pebbles and, you know, and I did this whole visual about it because, um, it helps to see that if you put the sand in first, it's really hard to get those big rocks in. Mm -hmm. um, but if you do the big rocks first, the big things, the things that are most important, um, then, uh, then you can start to fill in and also to give yourself grace to know that if you only got to the big rocks and the other stuff didn't get done that day, that's okay. Because yeah. now you did the most important things. And maybe, you know, a part of that practice is that, you know, one of the big rocks is to make sure that you take care of yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Because the, because if we're, if we're not taking care of ourselves, you know, at some point it's going to catch up with us and, 
you know, then it's hard to be able to take care of the people we love the most. So I, I you know, I continue to, to focus on that because I want to shift that mindset that self-care is selfish. It's really how we can serve our, our loved ones the most and show up the best way possible. So um, just so important to, to do that. Um, so I wanted to make sure that we hit that. Um, yeah. Dr. Karen, thank you so much for, for being here and, and, and being a part of the one relationship. Um, any final um, thoughts or advice or anything that you want to share with the parents who are listening as they, um, as they, you know, come, come and, you know, they hear this episode and they're like, okay, you know, what's, what's the thing that I can really take home with me and start working on? Yeah. Um, gosh, it's always so hard to funnel it down to one thing, but I think, you know, hopefully you've gotten the impression that, you know, structure and planning ahead are definitely things that I, I am very, (laughs) those are definitely some of my top values because I think it does help you to, to, to stay ahead of things and be proactive in preventing problems before they start. Sure, you can't always prevent everything. You can't always prevent a meltdown. Sometimes things come up, you have to change your plans. But if you are being proactive and thinking ahead, then what that does is it puts you in a better place to be able to handle those situations when they do come up. And you're in a better place, you're going to be better able to support your kids. And I I mean, I definitely agree with the self-care that that when you're when I do planning for for parents and things like that, a lot of times it's really focused on academics. When I do planning for my therapist, a lot of times it's planning for taking care of your clients. But I always encourage people to put that self-care on there because I read something the other day where it's like your basic needs, like going to the bathroom, that's not self-care. Like people act like that's self-care. Drinking is not self-care. It's something restorative. So I think it is really important to, if you want to be able to do those types of things, sometimes doing the work up front to learn about how to provide that structure for your kids, for yourself, for your whole family, you know, it does take some work up front to be able to learn those things and build some new habits, but in the long run, it really pays off. Yeah. And, and it can even just be like, I think sometimes, you know, especially with the working moms, you know, like their, their day is literally so full. It's so packed mm-hmm. and I get it. And, and, and I understand that. Um, but it might be just as simple as like, just starting with working at, you know, putting your kids to bed 10, 15 minutes early, just start mm-hmm. working at sliding it just a little earlier so that you can wake up 15 minutes earlier in the morning and have that time for yourself before mm-hmm. you start yeah. your day or how you take your lunch break you know, just know it doesn't have to necessarily, especially if you really are in that place where like you don't have a lot of time and, you know, time, you know, I don't have a lot of time. It's, it's, it's usually not so much about time management as it is about self-management. So, you know, think about how you're, how you're really interacting through the day and where you could, um, you can just take back 10 minutes, just start with 10 minutes. I mean, I started where I gave myself 10 minutes in the morning which now has built up to like almost an hour. It's, it's actually really an hour. It's just a matter of my kids, you know, choose to wake up a little earlier that morning mm-hmm. or not. But I mean, I give myself now an hour, but I started at 10 minutes, you know, so just, just give yourself grace to that and figure out well, where can I give myself 10 minutes and mm-hmm. just start there to give yourself that, that time to just maybe be quiet and still 
read one page of a book, you know, you know, take a walk on your, on your lunch break, like whatever that looks like, take a lunch break. I mean, there's a lot of people who don't even take a lunch break. I know. You know I, I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they do it. Either. <laughs> I have so, to eat. I have to function. I mean, eating is so important because it's fuel for your day. Um, but you know, for, for people who take, you know, who, who are working jobs, uh, you, you, legally you're entitled to take a break. Like the job can't make you work your, your, mm-hmm. your yes. lunch, you know, your break. So just, you know, legally you can take it. So just know that, 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 that's your time, you know, and use it for yourself. If that literally, it would be the only time you can do it. Um, but yeah, so we're, we're hitting home the self-care. It's, it's super important and something I, I share with the moms who I talk to on a regular basis and, um, and, and the planning, I'm a big planner too. Like just live, live by the calendar. It really Mm -hmm. does help that decision fatigue, um, so that you can feel like you got a handle on the day. And the one other thing that I would add to, um, just, you know, tying it back to, to, to the children is, you know, lowering their emotional temperature, um, Mm -hmm. maybe minimizing the tantrums. I've found that if I can give just 10 minutes of individual focus time to each child, you know, it it actually helps fulfill their needs and the tantrums start to minimize. Not that they necessarily, you know, they'll still happen, but if I can, you know, at the end of the day, I pick them up and yes, I'm cooking dinner and, you know, like things are going on. If I can still, like, usually it's after dinner. If I can just sit on the floor and play with my daughter for 10 minutes or sit on the floor and then I'm just focused on my son, like it, it does wonders for them. So, you know, maybe work on implementing that where they can feel like they just have your undivided attention for just a few minutes. Um, Mm -hmm. it starts to help, help them feel safe and secure and those tantrums minimize. So another, another thing I found working well in my life that I want to be able to share with moms and dads out there. Uh, Dr. Karen, thank you again for being here. Um, we'll make sure that we have everything linked up in the show notes, your podcast, are they 18 yet? Um, your website, drkarendudekbrandon.com. Uh, you're on Facebook as well. You've got tons of courses. You know, you work with educators. You're also now working with parents to, mm-hmm. you know, to provide for, for them and resources there. So we'll make sure we got everything there linked up in the show notes. Um, but thank you again. And we, we appreciate you and, and all the best to you and, and the work that you're doing. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of The One Relationship. We're committed to building strong marriages to create the foundation for living a fulfilled life, creating a thriving family, and conquering the challenges of today. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe right now to keep up to date with our weekly episodes. We'd love it if you could do us a quick favor too. Please rate and review this podcast. This will help others who want to strengthen their marriage discover our content. Join us next time for more real talk on the one relationship.